0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Ocean's Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. And today I want to talk to you about the promise of power. And uh, if you're taking notes today, my title for this talk—if you're into talks, if you're into sermons, if my message, my thesis, my my sermon would be called a. Uh, uh, focused by it, say it with me, focused by it, or you could stare at me, either way, um, try it again, say focused by it, I want to talk to you today about power, and how it is the power of Jesus Christ that has the ability to focus our lives, and so if you have your Bible today, we're going to turn to the book of First Corinthians, and you can put another finger in Luke chapter 6, we're going to do two passages today, I'm going to read 10 verses, And we're going to jump right in. If you're up for having a good time, you can say amen. Amen. And I do believe God's going to show up. But to be up front, after I uh, connect connect the dots at the end, I want to be very forthright. There will be people, God told me as I was praying yesterday, there would be people in in the tent and online that would get healed of incurable diseases today. Um, He told me that. I, I heard his voice very clearly. He said there would be people that need a creative miracle in their body that would experience it. He actually said there would be people even with cancers and uh, even diseases that have been just kind of plaguing you for a long time that he was going to heal today. He said there was other people that had darkness that has been kind of dwelling in you. It's been manifesting through uh, addictions and vices, maybe maybe substance abuse. And I do believe that God is going to liberate people that are in prison today. And I want you to know that if all we do at church is give some good points and sing some good songs and leave, we are no different than a TED Talk conference. What makes Jesus different than everything else on the earth is it is accompanied with power. Yeah. There is a demonstration, are you hearing me today, that follows the preaching of God's word. And so that's be my, my hope today, but we're going to have fun in the process, and it's okay to laugh, and everyone said amen. Yeah. All right, let's read this together, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is the context here, uh, this is the Corinthian church. Corinth would have been like L.A., it was a very wealthy, it was an affluent area, it was a trade capital of the world. But uh, Corinth was also known, really much, it paralleled, when people said Corinth, it was like synonymous with debauchery. It was a very morally bankrupt land. It was uh, a place, they had a temple, one of the greatest landmarks of the city was the temple of Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love. There was a thousand priestess, prostitutes that were in this temple. It was a wicked, morally bankrupt, affluent place. And as we pick up reading here, uh, we're reading about a division. There was people that were mad at each other in Corinth. Uh, People were blowing each other up on Instagram, throwing grenades on Facebook. People were watching. Come on, talking about their news station, not your news station. And everyone was upset. There was there was hostility. And Paul comes on the scene and says, "You know what? You know what? You know what brings clarity to a divided world?" And he says, "It's the power of God." Are you with me today? Like the Corinth, does that make sense? Corinth is like Orange County. If it was if it was back then, it'd be like keeping up with the Corinthians. Come on. So we're going to go here today. First uh, Corinthians chapter one, verse 18, it says this for the message of the cross. Here's how we're going to be unified. The message of Jesus dying on the cross is foolishness to people that are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved by that message, it is the power of God. Say it with me, power. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, as God, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the, where is the uh, academic? Uh, where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? That's so what we talked about last week. For since the wisdom of God, the world, through wisdom, did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom. But Christians, we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, this is a stumbling block. To the Greeks, this is foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, watch this. Christ Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Last week we talked about this, and our thought was is that Revival is birth in power, but it is sustained in wisdom. And I believe we talked about sustaining it last week. Today, I want to talk to you about starting it. It is the power of God that creates spiritual awakening. And I love this because it says in Luke chapter 6, I'm going to read just a couple of three verses here. 6 verse 17 says, Jesus came to them. He stood on a level place with the crowd. And of all of his disciples, and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came, watch why, to hear him. And they didn't just come to hear Jesus, like some of you, you want to hear, hear the word of God. They came to be healed of their diseases. As well, there was also those that came that were tormented with unclean spirits. They were healed. And it says, and the whole multitude sought to touch Jesus, for whenever people touched him, power went out from him and healed them. I believe that that's what Christianity is today still, that it is hungry people that want to hear him so they can experience not only the wisdom of his words, but the power of his touch. And uh, again, I know in Orange County, and this is kind of a different view for some of you, that God still has power today. But I will do my best to articulate uh, what God has put on my heart. But let's pray real quick. Is that okay? God, I just thank you so much for what you're doing in our state. I thank you that you're not done with California. I thank you that you're not throwing in the towel on the United States of America. I thank you that where sin abounds, your word declares grace abounds even more. So God, today I pray in a muggy tent that you would show up in a marvelous way. I ask you to do what doctors couldn't do. I pray you would do what counselors couldn't do. I pray that you would do what surgeries and medication could not accomplish. We ask you to meet people where they are. Lead us into where you are. And I just thank you today that you bless this time together. Send a cool breeze. And we pray you bless the Lakers in Jesus' name. Come on, everyone, say amen. Lost some steam there at the end. Any married people in the tent today? Where's my married people at? All the happily married couples. It is so good to get married. I love being married. I've been married now, this, this September 30th, 15 years. My wife was 16 when I married her, and uh, kidding. Um, but uh, we got, we married 15 years, which is wild, and uh, we first got married. I remember, like all men, my goal was to impress. You want to make a good first impression. Yeah. We got off the honeymoon. We got back to our house. My wife likes anything decor-related anything home design related. And she had this persuasion back in those days that we needed a, not only a chandelier in our bedroom, which I'm like, why? Um, but she wanted, we got it up. And I, I thought it was a miracle that I actually installed a chandelier. But uh, then she goes, this thing needs a dimmer switch. And I'm like, look, if you know me, you know this. I'm not outdoorsy. I'm indoorsy. I am not, I am not handy at all. Like I can screw a light bulb in. But I wanted to impress my new my new bride, and so I'm like, I could do this. I don't own a tool belt, I own a dress belt. I don't shop at Lowe's normally. Uh, the only home improvement I'm familiar with is with Tim Allen. Come on hashtag tooltime. and i'm just I'm not a handy individual, like like really I mean this this is really far outside of my wheelhouse, but I wanted to impress my wife, so I ended up um going. And getting a dimmer switch. And uh, really, again, if you know me, if, it, if, if the hammer doesn't have MC in front of it, I'm not interested. Okay? But I wanted to impress my wife. So I got this uh, dimmer switch. I went to install it. So I unscrewed it. I had needle nose pliers in my hand. I had a flathead screwdriver. I remember it like it was yesterday. I pulled the plate off of the uh, the thing. I don't wanna you know I don't wanna intimidate you with my knowledge <laughs> of electrical devices. But I did an undid um, did the the dealy thing and um and I, I, I pulled the, the the little switch out of the wall, it had all the wires attached to it. And I'm like, I, who needs directions? Come on, where's my guys at? We got this. We'll just do what, we'll just do to the new switch what the old switch was all about. That was my logic. And so I started working on this thing and uh, I just remember um I remember the moment um, I remember the moment that I stopped remembering. <laughs> what I wasn't aware of is that you're actually supposed to turn the power off. <laughs> Write this down, guys. Come on. If you're like me, turn power off before you start messing with wires on the wall. I got shocked. I got hit. I don't know how many volts it was. But it was enough electricity going through my body that I didn't care about who the president was. I was not interested, if my kid was crying, I'll take care of him later. I didn't care about how dirty my car was. I wasn't interested with the smell of dinner. When that electricity was going through my body, all I could focus on was the power. And I remember kind of blacking out, there was a gap between holding the tools and the tools hitting my bare feet, which was the second round of awesome. Looking back, I should have hired an electrician. Um, I didn't have cash to pay him, but I guess they wanted me to charge it anyways. Tough crowd. Uh, but I, I literally, I remember getting hit with electricity, and it was honestly like, it was one of those moments that I'll just never forget. It, it shocked me. And I was thinking about how, you know, when, when power enters you, it has this way about it that you stop caring about everything peripheral, It actually, in nature, when you experience power, it actually, uh, it focuses your attention. I stopped caring about so many things because there was so much going through me that it actually, it it captured the attention of everything all at one moment. And guess what? That's what the power of Jesus does. I was praying this week and some of you are like, well, Mark, what's kind of the big idea? I, I wrote this down. God gave me this phrase that the strength that we need to confront the challenges of life is found in the power of Jesus. The strength that you need, that I need to confront the challenges of life, it's found in the power of Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is the power of God. First Corinthians 124. Psalm, Psalm 62 11 says that power belongs to God. I heard one scholar say our privilege in life is to do the will of God in the power of God for the glory of God. Can I say it again for the back? That our privilege in life is to do the will of God, in the power of God, for the glory of God. Smith Wigglesworth said, the power of God will take you out of your plans and put you into the plans of God. We see a generation here at Oceans that actually is familiar, that is is accustomed to the raw power, the display of who God is. We believe in a gospel that still actually, that still demands power. It actually still relays power. Power today is very misunderstood. I, I don't know if you ever looked up power in the Webster's Dictionary. It's got about 700 different applications. Talk, there's mathematical power. There's political power. There's electrical power. There's, there's all types of power. And if you're writing notes, write this down. The number one reason why most people are scared of God's power is because power misused is one of the devil's most effective tools. Say it again. Power misused is one of the devil's most effective tools. And many people are scared of any power because they had an experience with some sort of power. But I want you to know that our faith, Paul, according to Paul, he says to the Corinthians in Orange County, come on, keeping up with the Corinthians. He said, Guys, your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but your faith should be in the power of God. Two five of First Corinthians. This is amazing that the early fathers knew something about power that we do not know here today. Yeah. I love the story of Haley and Christian sharing how the power of Jesus yeah. has changed the way they think. It yeah. changes the way they talk. It's affected the way they see the world. Yeah. Say it with me, power. power. I believe we serve a God that unlike other religions, there is still a current tense power. Yeah. And here's what I want to just, if I could build a case today, that the early leaders of Christianity... There was four really profound sermons in the book of Acts. One's found in chapter 2, one's in chapter 3, one's in chapter 4, and one's in chapter 10. And here's what we know is that the early Christian's message was always concluded with a demonstration of power. So what was before the power showing up? I'm glad you asked. What happened before power showed up in the early church? We're talking about a message that had the power to actually bring light to those that were spiritually dead, and a message that actually brought eyesight back to the blind, and a guy was paralyzed for 40 years, and he gets up, and he starts walking, and everyone's looking at Peter and John like, how did you do that? And their response was, why are you looking at us like it was our power? It wasn't our power that healed this guy. It was the power of the resurrected Jesus. And I want to remind you today that we serve a God that still has power. Can I get an amen? People today are happy with a Christianity that just gets you to heaven. But they actually will argue with you when you talk about a gospel that brings heaven to earth. There is a God that still owns power. That still gives power. And this is what the message that they they preached. Before power showed up, there was five things that these sermons, these men and women of God boldly proclaimed. Number one is they basically said that Jesus promises, his promise, his time has come now. Basically, the message of the good good news. So Paul gets on the uh, 1 Corinthians, and he says the message of Jesus is foolishness to those that are perishing, but it's the power of God to those that believe. What is the message of Jesus? Number one, that the time of Jesus has come. Let me say it another way. We are not waiting on God. Some of you are waiting on God, and God is waiting on you. The message of Christianity is that not one day. Have you ever noticed, as humans, we're good at believing for one day? One day, we're going to get out of debt. Man, one day, we're going to have a house. One day, I'm going to get delivered from this addiction. One day, I'm going to stop being addicted to this and that and the other. One day in the future. When I get to heaven, there won't be any more of this. And I would say yes. But I do believe there are some things that we don't have to wait for heaven to get healed of. There is power in the here, in the now, today. You see, Luke 10.9 10, says, heal the sick and say the kingdom has come near you. On another occasion, Jesus says, when, the, when people get healed, and, and, and the lepers get cleansed, and, the, and those that are lame begin to walk, He says, you've seen the finger of God come upon you. There is power in the message of Jesus that's here today. Listen, in Jesus Christ's name, I take authority over anything that believes that God can only do it later. We serve a God that can do it right here, right now. I have I have mentors and fathers in the faith that stood in tents all over the world that pointed at people in wheelchairs and said, by the end of this meeting, you're going to walk. And the whole room sits on edge and goes, man, can God still do the impossible? My answer is yes. He's a God that still heals. He still hears. He still moves. He still saves. If you believe it, come on, give him a hand clap real quick. Sorry, I'm getting fired up. I was going to wear a watch today, but I don't own a waterproof watch. Come on. sweat too much up here. Is that they didn't just preach a gospel message that about, about Jesus coming here and now. They preached a message about Jesus coming to earth, living for 30 years, doing a ministry publicly for three and a half years, actually dying on a Roman cross, and then rising on the third day. This is wild because all three of these things were, were a little bit taboo. Paul says to the Corinthians that the Jews, this was, this was a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it was foolishness. Do you know why it was a stumbling block? Because Deuteronomy 21, 23 says that cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree. Listen, the early church said this guy, he lived 30 years. and Many people had a problem with, with a new faith movement that could transform the earth. Can I just submit to you, if you're an atheist here today, and you think that Christianity is a fabricated world religion, I want to remind you that no other religion in history has actually built the founder, leader, and CEO of the movement as a former ex-carpenter who was actually a Jewish itinerant speaker who was pinned next to two criminals on a Roman cross. Now, today, crosses are jewelry. They're they're decor in your living room. You put them on the front doorstep of your house. They're decorative items. In the Roman world, it was the symbol of execution. It was basically like putting an electric chair. Wearing a cross would be like wearing an electric chair today around your neck. It was the most gruesome, the most inhumane way. The Romans had perfected the art of torture. And Jesus, listen to me. Throughout scripture, it says that not only did he have to die, but he actually chose to come in history. He was born when he wanted to be born. He was born where he wanted to be born. He was born in the family that he wanted to be born to. And guess what else? He chose the way that he would die. This is wild. You may have maybe never thought about this before. But do you know that God could have died? Jesus could have died by a firing squad he could have chose to be hung he could have he could have chose to be uh had his head cut off there could have been a million ways to kill the savior of the world but for some reason he chose the most violent vile way maybe in human history and i want to remind you today there's been thousands of people in that time period that died on a roman cross but none of which we are still talking about here today he is the only one in history that endured the shame it was a public spectacle, naked in front of a public place. And scholars talk to us about how not only the contrast of the cross was that somehow, not, not only did he take on the sins of humanity, he took on the evil of humanity on the cross. And the early church fathers say, look, his life was real, his death on the cross was real, but guess what else was real? His resurrection. And it goes on, they say, this is, foolishness to the, this is foolishness to the Greeks. You see, the Greek thought that the first characteristic of God in the Greek world, in the ancient Greek world, was apatheia, which basically doesn't mean just apathy. It means the total inability to feel. The Greeks argued that if God could feel pain, joy, and sorrow, whatever, it meant that some human being has, the, has for the moment influenced God and is therefore greater than God. Greeks did not believe that God could, could feel the pain of humanity. So when Jesus, some of you are like, well, Mark, what's the big deal? We read the Bible all the time. You know, when, when Paul says to the Roman church in Romans 1.16, I am unashamed about, about the cross of Jesus, about the good news of Jesus, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes. Why would he say I'm unashamed? Look at me today. He was unashamed because it sounded nonsensical. I read this scholar, I want to read it to you. Christianity is unique. Nowhere in history would anyone ever suspect that a crucified man would be worshipped. Crazy. Early Christians proclaimed the entrance of God upon the stage of history in the person of a Jewish itinerant teacher who had been hung along two of society's misfits to die a horrible death, rejected and condemned by the religious and the secular authorities alike discarded onto the garbage heap of humanity, scornfully forsaken by elites and common folk, leaving behind only discredited, demonized handful of scruffy disciples who had no status whatsoever in the eyes of anyone. The peculiarity of this beginning for a world-transforming faith is not sufficiently acknowledged because of this christianity unlike other world religions it's oddly irreligious in its origins can you imagine if you were going to fabricate a new faith that your ceo and founder would be someone that died in an electric chair a murderous death this is what the early church fathers said is they said look he's here and now today he's actually lived died and resurrected here's what else they preached that brought power he said They said, Jesus is the fulfillment of of all the Old Testament prophecies. This is a bold claim. If you were a Jew back in those days, that was a bold, bold claim. You see, they weren't expecting it. Can you imagine? Jesus has a substantial autobiography written 500 years before he's born. Can you imagine reading a book about your life 500 years before you were born? Over 300 prophecies were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Now watch this. Imagine finding a book in 1900 that forecasted two world wars, a Great Depression, an atomic bomb. What would you think about a book that forecasted the assassinations of JFK, of Martin Luther King Jr.? What would you think about a book that forecasted two towers coming down from airplanes about a global pandemic? What would you think about a book written in 1900 that was that accurate about things here today? I would would suspect it would bring validity to that faith anybody and that is exactly what jesus did as he fulfilled these prophetic promises they said not only has jesus fulfilled the prophetic promises they said number four that he is coming again you remember the story jesus came back he hung out for 40 days over 500 people saw him what this is just a bunch made up jargon 500 people saw Jesus for 40 days after he came out of the grave. Well, what if he was never dead? Well, if he was never dead, the Romans would have been executed in his place. Because whenever a soldier lost sight of a body or, or, or a tomb they were guarding, it would be their life for the other life. So not only was he dead, Jesus was dead, dead, dead. Three days, came back, hung out for 40 days. 500 people saw him. Then they're hanging out one day. And he floats into the sky like Chris Angel. Come on. Everyone's like, what in the world is going on? Angels show up while he's floating up. And guess what they say? They say, the same way you saw him leave is the same way he's going to return one day. Call me old-fashioned. But I believe the day will come that the trumpet will sound, that the sky will split open. Those that are dead in Christ will rise. We will meet him in the air There will be new heavens. There will be new earth. We're not going to sit in diapers on clouds with harps. That's hell. Come on, somebody. We are going to live with him and for him. Come on, like the sandlot. Forever. Come on. Do you believe it? He's coming again. And they said not only is he coming again, but every time the early church leaders preached, they always had this almost level of threat. But the threat wasn't violent against people. It was urgent for people. It was this urgent, all-inclusive invite for everyone that's watching to believe, for everyone that's listening to believe, and not just to believe that Jesus is real and powerful, but that he's actually the God that's worthy to be turned to, that he's the God actually to be invited and received. You see, they preached a message that you could believe in Jesus, you can turn to Jesus, and you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it gets quiet in churches when you start talking about the Holy Spirit. Most people are cool with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. Many people are scared of God the Holy Spirit. But I want, to, I want you to write this down today. If you have a theology that is scared of something that Jesus loves, change your theology. If you're scared of something that God was bold about, change your theology. You see, Jesus was pro-Holy Spirit. He was pro-being filled with the Holy Spirit. He said that literally it is the spirit of God inside of me that raised Jesus out of the dead. It says that he had the spirit without measure. You know why some of you are so in bondage to bad thinking and destructive living? It's because you have, you have something in you, but it is not the spirit of almighty God. The Holy Spirit will give you the appetites of Jesus. I'm telling you right now, when you have the spirit of, you have the spirit of Beethoven, you start playing like Beethoven. You get the spirit of Mozart, you start playing the piano like Mozart. You get the spirit of Michelangelo, you start painting like Michelangelo. And when you get the spirit of Jesus Christ, you start desiring the appetite of Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives you the appetite of God. And many people go, Mark, why why in the world would I I, I even be interested in God? The early leaders, the the early crowds gathered to Jesus, it says to hear his words. There's something in the words of Jesus that released power in bodies. Do you realize he would preach and it says that people that were sick would get healed? People that were bedridden would begin to walk. People that were dead would come back to life. His words weren't just full of wisdom, the words of Jesus were also full of power. It says that he healed diseases, it says that he liberated people from darkness, from evil spirits. I read one scholar this week, and they were talking about how the problem with the North American church is that we don't believe in evil anymore. We believe in God. We believe in humanity. But we somehow have relegated that there is a dark force, a dark power, the Satan, the Lucifer, the snake, the serpent, whatever you want to call him, that there is a real devil. And here's the deal. We are not scared of him, but we have to acknowledge that there is a real evil in the world. One brilliant man said that there is a thread of good and evil that runs through all of humanity. You see, the problem with Americans is we believe that evil is just people that fly into airplanes, uh, fly into towers. And evil is those that, you know, hurt their children or those, those that kill people innocently. That is evil. But the truth is, is that we are not born good and occasionally do evil. That's new age rhetoric. The truth is, is that we are born under a fallen nature. The Bible says through one man's sin, Adam, we are born into a fallen state. But it says through one man's disobedience, all were born into foolishness. But through one man's act of obedience, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, he gives us the ability to be born into a new nature. You see, God, listen, there's things that God heals us of, but there's darkness that he liberates us of. So many people are in bondage to dark things. There is a dark realm. There are evil spirits. And before you get weirded out and scared, I want you to know the Bible says that when Lucifer fell, Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning. You know what it says? It says one third of the stars fell with him. Now, I'm not a mathematician. I didn't take algebra two, but I took algebra one two times. Come on. Here's what I do know is that if one third fell, that means there's still two thirds that are with us. So for every demon that's, that's real, there's still two angels to one demon, right? And here's what I want to tell you. Even if there was no backup, God does not need any backup. He is not in an arm wrestling match with the devil. It's not God and Satan going back and forth. We serve a God that reigns. Come on. Do you believe that today? He has power. And I don't know who you are, but you got to know this, that God has power to evict darkness in our souls. Some of you don't realize that you can be full of darkness. There is darkness that's in this world. And Jesus gives us the invitation to evict that darkness. I don't have to die with the giants of sin that, my, that killed my parents' marriage, that, that destroyed my grandfather's life. I can sever the head of the Goliath that taunted my family lineage. I want you to know today that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It might sound a little crazy that our founder-in-chief, our, our, our CEO, our, our president and our king of all kings, he did die on a cross, but he is a God that has power. Yes. It, Exodus 9 says that he wanted to show his power to Pharaoh. It talks about that God has power to help in 2 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 8. Matthew 9 says that Jesus has power on the earth. The Pharisees did not know the scriptures. Jesus said they didn't know the power of God. Luke 24. Jesus promised that you would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He said not to leave Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, Christianity without power is like like appliances in your house without electricity. Well, I don't need a dishwasher. Well, you can live without a dishwasher. But a dishwasher will make your life better. You can live without a washing machine. All my Australian friends, they live without dryers. They all hang dry their clothes still. You can do it. But it will save you time and effort to have some appliances in your house. Some people say, Mark, I don't need the Holy Spirit. I don't need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I don't need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. I don't need the power of the Holy Spirit. And my point is this. You can go to heaven pretty easily. Believe that Jesus is Lord. But if you want to have some appliances to your faith... And you want to have a dishwasher and a, and a toaster? Come on, somebody. You want to have some, some power tools? I don't know if you've ever assembled some IKEA furniture without power tools. It's what happens in hell. Hell will be IKEA furniture with no power tools. And it'll be U-Haul, U-Hauls that you unload forever and ever and ever. That's hell. Not really, but come on, stay with me. God is a God that gives power. He says, don't leave. You will receive power, Acts 1-8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in the classroom that you teach in. You'll be my witnesses in the doctor's office that you're serving patients with. You'll be my witnesses in the boardroom. You'll be my witnesses on your podcast. You'll, you'll be my witnesses on your social media. You'll, and you'll receive power. And that power is going to come on you, and you're going to stand for me. He says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of Power. God's power is made perfect in human weakness, according to 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 9. Christianity is a, is a faith movement of power. Yes. Now, some of you think you believe the lie that all religions are the same. Wow. And again, I want to be very polite today. And I'd like to just, if I could, on the behalf of Oceans Church, just say it like this. There are different worldviews. Everyone said that's true. Or just look at me. Come on, say that's true. There's different worldviews but here's what i'd like to say to you today as your pastor is that there are different worldviews yes and we actually claim that jesus is the only way to heaven which i know is a bold statement but here's what i want to ask you is that we accept everyone everyone said yes we are civil to everybody everyone said yes we are respectful we are kind and we are loving to everyone yes. amen? amen but now that i've gotten that out of the way i don't want to gloss over this fact that we do have a God that is different. And I'd like to highlight, if I could, just for a moment, the differences of Jesus as opposed to everybody else. You see, we would never tolerate any type of logic. You know, you see those stickers, and I I appreciate the heart behind them, but we have stickers on cars like Coexist, and you hear people say all the time, well, all religious figures, they all say the same thing. They all, everyone's going to the same place. Now, as good as that sounds, now I get it sounds really kind and sweet and thoughtful. The problem is that, is, is we would never tolerate that logic anywhere else. Yeah. We would never say that all cars drive to Vegas, yeah, right. that all trains go to San Diego, yeah. that all airplanes fly to Sydney, yeah. and all ships are headed towards London. Yeah. Do you know that direction determines destination? Yeah. Talk to me, church. Direction yeah. determines destination. Well, Mark, all churches are on street corners, and it doesn't matter if it's that, this, or the other. They're all the same. Listen, listen taxis look the same you go to new york city taxis look pretty similar but taxis will take you to different destinations and here's what i know is that all world religions have this commonality is that all world religions have this underlying theme of save yourself it's self-salvation do do good deeds your good deeds have to outweigh your bad deeds you got to do more good than evil. Then God will accept you. Do, do, do. Save yourself. Save yourself. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, my death on the cross saves you. It's not what you do, it's what I've done. This is where it gets a little bit different, right? World religions are different. They lead to different destinations. For instance, Judaism. It actually denies the New Testament. It sees salvation as a judgment day decision based upon your morality. The Messiah, they believe, will bring peace to Israel one day. Stace, come on up here. I'm almost finished. Hindus anticipate multiple reincarnations in the soul's journey through the cosmos. They believe in many gods, all of which are impersonal. Buddhism grades your life uh, a life according to the four noble truths and the noble eightfold path. Heaven is nirvana, and it's yours after multiple reincarnations. Muslims earn their way to Allah by performing the duties of the five pillars of faith. They say that Jesus was not crucified. They deny the Trinity and they raise Muhammad higher than any other prophet. By contrast, Jesus blazes a stand-alone path void of self-salvation. You see, he clears a -a one-of-a-kind passageway uncluttered by human effort. Christ came not for the strong, but for the weak. Not for the righteous, but for the sinner. We enter upon confession of our need, not completion of our deeds. He offers a standalone, unique invitation in which He works and we trust. He dies and we live. He invites and we believe. I'm telling you today that I'm preaching in protest to the horrors of life. In the memories of victims and the solid solidarity of those who mourn inconsolably. I speak hope in Jesus' name. Peace that surpasses understanding. Joys that comes after the morning. Power that can change, heal, deliver, restore. God, cover your people with a garment of praise. We serve a God that's unlike no other. He still rules. He still reigns. He still does the impossible. He still does the miraculous. He still sets the prisoner free. Come on, that's who we serve. Jesus is his name. Come on, Jesus is his name. Come on. Jesus is His name. Jesus is His name. There's no one like Him. There's no one like Him in the earth. Many have tried. Many have, com- many have tried to compete. Many have tried to dilute. Many have tried to put Jesus in the same category as everyone else. Someone, someone said, "Mark, what's the difference between Jesus, Jesus, and everyone else?" No one else that claimed to be God got out of the grave. No one. Many people claim to be great thinkers. I'm not denying they were great minds, great scholars, great philosophers. But listen, no one claimed to be God. No one said that my words lead to eternal life. No one said that desire daily to eat your daily bread. I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven that gives life to the world. Jesus is either crazy, he's either a lunatic, or he is who he claims to be. He's God. There is no fourth option. There's none. Read the Bible. Jesus is either everything he says he is, or he's out of his mind. Or he is the greatest magician of all time. He's the greatest liar, deceiver of all times. But my guess would be, is if he was a liar, that his followers, when he died, would have stopped believing in him. The fact that his believers would be willing to be crucified upside down, thrown in boiling oil, thrown into a gladiator ring with lions, torn apart limb by limb, with the confession that Jesus, if He came back from the dead, I'm coming back from the dead. His followers are some of the greatest evidence that He is who He claims to be. Are you with me today? Give me a hand clap if you believe it. I know the cross sounds like foolishness. I know some of you are tired of dead religion. Some of you are tired of a faith that leaves Jesus on the cross. He's not on the cross. He's off the cross. He's out of the grave. Some people say, man, if your mom heard you say that, she would roll in her grave. Listen, Jesus has never rolled in his grave. He's not in it anymore. The grave is vacant. My grandma sat with, with Hindu uh, with Hindu priest in a temple in Japan and China, and they were sipping tea together, and they said, what makes your Jesus different than my, my Muhammad, my Buddha? And if she sat with Buddhists and Hindus, she would say the same thing. She would say, your Buddha. You're Mohammed. We can go to where he's buried. My God is the only one that lived, died, came back, and never died again. He's alive. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.